Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that showcases fiber artists from around the world. You're listening to episode seven, and in this episode, I spoke to Gina Wackenwagner of Poppy and Pima. Gina and I chat about how a chance conversation turned into a knitwear design job for her at Anthropology, and how she uses experimental quilting to have a creative outlet from knitwear design. She also clears up some common misconceptions about what baby alpaca is and how it's made. Listen on for our whole conversation. Thanks for tuning in. I'm really excited to tell you about a little gift that's just for close-knit podcast listeners. I've teamed up with Caitlin Hunter from Boyland Knitworks to give you 25% off her knitting patterns. Caitlin lives on a farmstead in rural Oregon with her husband, three little boys, and a pile of assorted animals. When she's not hurting children and animals, she's designing beautiful knitting patterns and embracing slow fashion through her use of sustainable fibers and naturally dyed wool. Caitlin's patterns cover everything from simple drapey jumpers to lacework shawls and lovely ferrile beanies. To get 25% off of all of Caitlin's knitting patterns, check out her Ravelry shop, which I'll link to in the show notes, and enter Close Knit at checkout. Close Knit, all one word. A big thank you to Caitlin for offering this special gift to podcast listeners. Hello, um, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Gina Rockenwagner of Poppy and Pima. Hey, Gina. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Thanks so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, cool. Um, so I'm just going to jump straight into it because it's 5 p.m. In, <laughs> in Brooklyn and 9 a.m. in Tasmania. So I'll make this happen. Um, cool. So Gina, what's your fiber of choice and what sort of medium in terms of craft and also just generally do you gravitate towards the most? Yeah, well... Um... I'm working with a lot of alpaca right now mm. <laughs> because um, in Peru, that's Peru is the largest um, producer of alpaca in the world. Um, and I, I make all my product in Peru for Poppy and Pima. So um, there's like tons of alpaca around and we get like the best alpaca in the world. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of hard to go down there and, and see all the beautiful alpaca yarns and say, no, I'm not going to use alpaca. <laughs> like you'd, be, you'd be a fool to not, to not take advantage of like their gold, you know, their gold star there and their pride is like their alpaca. Yeah. So I've been, I've been using a lot of alpaca. Actually our line this season is almost entirely baby alpaca we just have to use we have to use like nylon and spandex for the socks mm. but other than that like everything is is all baby alpaca so yeah can you this is a silly question actually but can you tell me what constitutes baby alpaca like how old does an alpaca need to be to be a baby <laughs> yeah so it's actually um it's actually a misconception that baby alpaca comes from an actual baby oh um, I'm really glad you asked me that um, because I get I get this question a lot like on, on my site and um, like I have people contact me and say like does it really come from a baby like is it harmful and the answer is no um, alpaca is is taken from the animal exactly as wool is taken from a sheep it's shorn uh, it's cut off it's not mm. there's no harm to the animal involved. Um, they actually need to, to be shorn because the, the fur can, the, the hair can get very heavy and it can cause health problems for the animal if they're not, um, 
you know, if they're not like groomed properly. Yeah. But basically what baby alpaca is, is a, it's a designation of like the thickness of the hair, the individual hair, mm. and that's measured in microns. So when, when the animal is shorn, and it doesn't matter like the age of the animal, it could be, you know, they, they, don't, they don't take the hair from the baby because it's not even like, the hair isn't long enough to make anything with. They shear all the alpaca, and we're actually going to go, next time I go to Peru, I want to go to an alpaca farm because one of the guys I work with in Peru has been in alpaca for generations, and they have an alpaca farm in Puno. So I want to go there and, and like see the process and, and um, take video and pictures and, and stuff. But, but anyway, I've seen this part of the process, which is when they, when they sort the different fibers, they actually they take all the, the hair that was taken off all the animals in that harvest, um, and they, by hand, they sort the hair into the different grades. Wow. So the, the best grade is like the royal alpaca. And there's different mills and there's different alpaca companies in Peru and they have different branding for like what they call this grade of alpaca. But the best grade is the royal alpaca. It's like the gold alpaca. And then the next one is the baby. Mm. So baby is like the best quality hair that's like widely available. Um, And then after that, there's um, super fine alpaca, which is like not as soft as baby alpaca, and then below that there's like another grade, but that's used more for like carpets, and it's not used as much for garments oh. or things that you wear. Yeah. So when we're talking microns, because I'm kind of really nerdy about this sort of thing, um, I like went to a wool museum in Tasmania, and they had a whole bunch of um, different fleeces up from the sheep down here. And they had different micron counts for each of those. So it was like, here's some merino from some part of Tasmania, and this is 20 micron. Like, what kind of micron situation is a, is a baby alpaca? Okay, I just had to look this up because I completely forgot. Uh, so, um, so baby alpaca is 21 to 23 microns. I always get confused. Yeah. 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 So super fine is 24 to 26. Okay. And royal is like 20 microns or less. Yeah, wow. So for reference, listeners, um, a human hair is 50 microns thick. So we're talking about the thickness of the individual hairs of these animals. And so that's pretty thin. And sort of the thinner, my understanding of this is kind of like the thinner, the softer the um the hair is. Is that is that totally wrong? <laughs> yeah, but no, that's exactly that's exactly right. Okay. Yeah, cool. Well that's interesting. I had no idea because I remember my one of my like first kind of proper yarn purchases was a skein of baby alpaca that I got from uh, Stone Mountain and Daughters in Berkeley, California. And I bought one skein of it and it was in a skein form or a hank form. And I didn't know that you needed to uh, wind your skein into a ball at that point. Yeah. So I was trying to knit from the skein and I turned this baby alpaca skein, which was beautiful and soft and amazing and like this lovely gray color into this like horrible tangled mess. And I'm still trying to untangle it and it's been like four years. <laughs> it's horrible. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. Yeah, let that be a lesson to you. <laughs> when you buy a skein, make sure you wind it, especially if it's baby alpaca. <laughs> well, 
I know a place where you can get more. Mm. <laughs> you never want to get more. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm definitely going to talk to you about that after, after the podcast. Um, cool. Well, okay, so we've got alpaca as the main fiber that you're working with in terms of poppy and pima, but can you tell me more about your fiber practice? Basically, I, I feel like the most fluency in knitting, I feel like, like when I'm knitting, it's basically like I feel like I'm 3D printing something. Like that's how fluent I feel like I am with knitting. Um, yes. Because I've been knitting like a, I've been knitting a long time, and um, I I've also been like a knit, a knit designer, so I've worked in with knitting professionally for a long time. So I kind of think of like knitting as like my professional mode, like my practical mode. Like when I'm knitting, I'm like normally making something when I'm think and I'm thinking a lot about like the end use of the the thing. Like I'm making some a hat and I'm thinking like, okay, I want it to be warm, but I also want it to like drape a certain way. And I feel like that those are all things like that I can achieve like really easily because I I have like mastery of knitting. Yeah. Whereas like on the other hand, I feel like my quilt, like my so I also make quilts, and I feel like my quilt like making is like my creative, more like artistic mode of like where I'm, I'm not necessarily like thinking about like the end use of something. Although it, it, it will become like a blanket that will keep someone warm. I'm more thinking about like, you know, like an idea that I want to express or yeah. like a, some kind of composition that I'm interested in like exploring or col- like a color I want to work with, like a mood. Hmm. It's less it's less practical. It's more like the opportunity for me to like express something. And I got, I got into quilting. I got, well, I've been quilting. (laughs) I've been quilting a while too, not as long as I've been a knitter, but I got really into quilting when I got heavily like into my professional career as a knit designer. I was working with like charts and grids and having to like do calculate yarn orders and like do spreadsheets and like knit, knit design can become very rigid um, because it's like you know it's based on like it's a grid when you think about it it's a grid so it's like you, you and you have to work within the confines of a grid essentially so yeah. so when I was getting heavily into like being a, a professional I I felt like I had all this creativity that I like couldn't express in my job so knitting became like that or sorry, quilting became the outlet for that, where I could kind of like do whatever I wanted and not feel like limited to, you know, it has to, it has to be a hat or it has to be a sweater, you know, it can be like what, it can be a painting, it can be like, you know, yeah, just an expression. Yeah, that's so interesting, because I often think about how I tend to gravitate towards knitting as a practical thing, because I like the fact that you are kind of making something that has an intended use but I also think there's so much value in just doing the thing for doing for the sake of doing it and so I feel like it's cool that you kind of realized what what thing you could look at and do as a way to take yourself away from these grids and like really practical view of making something and be like all right I'm going to try this other thing which I can just like throw a bunch of creativity at and see what see what sticks that's really cool thanks yeah it's it's become like it's become a really healthy way for me to like think about my practice. Mm. So do you I was looking at your website and looking at the quilts and just thinking like what a cool array of quilts there were and how kind of different they all were. Were those I was wondering as I was like looking at them, 
are those all kind of like from different time periods where you kind of like are any of them kind of of a, of a certain theme or like how did you approach those just the qu the quilts on my my personal website like when you go to my personal site yeah um yeah. well i they're, they're they're shown on the site mostly grouped by color because mm. um, I worked at I worked at Pearl Soho for a long time, and the cut co the color order thing became like a huge, just this huge like obsession for me, and like almost nothing looks right <laughs> if it's not like organized by color now. So that's how I present that's how I presented it on the site. But what's misleading is that I didn't make all the pink quilts at the same time. And yeah. it wasn't like I had like a pink period. <laughs> you know, I made I was making them like, I mean, mo most of my quilts like they started as like an experiment. You know, like I I became like in I would become interested in like a particular piecing, you know, structure or, you know, I I was really into I was really interested in like for example tumbling block like the tumbling block motif for a while and I and. It would start as like an experiment, like, oh, what what happens if I piece these different these different tumbling blocks, and what happens if I combine like a different um, color value so that it looks like some parts of the block are coming out and some parts of the block are receding, and then and then it becomes once you have like this piece made of of all these different patchwork pieces together, then it becomes well, how can I finish this and make this a quilt? So what do I have to do to make it a rectangle or a square? What kind of pieces do I have to add to it? Or hmm. what's missing from this? Like what, what's lacking from it that I need to bring to it? Like, you know, maybe I piece something that's very um, kind of like monochromatic and maybe it needs like a moment of being more um, like having more like visual information going on. Mm. So it's, it's mostly like experimental and that's what I really like about quilting is you can kind of just like make it up as you go. Yeah. And um, I, don't, I don't really like plan my quilts. Like there aren't a ton that I've really, I'm trying to think if there are any, like there are very few quilts in my like body of work that I really like sat down and like sketched exactly how I was gonna piece something and knew exactly how it was going to be like when I set out to make it yeah so it's play it's play a lot of it is like playing yeah my sort of impression of quilting was that it was really like rigid <laughs> you know it's like you say with knitting where at the stage I'm in with knitting I'm sort of like woo the possibilities are endless there's so many weird things I want to make but I haven't really gotten there at all with quilting where I've kind of looked at it as like you know, just sort of needing things to be geometric so that they like fit together and so that you do end up with sort of this rectangular thing. But I think your approach of I've done all these cool things, what do I now need to do to make it something that's rectangular or square? Like that's a really cool approach that I hadn't even thought of. Yeah. Um, well, I think I, I, I think that 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 approach kind of came came to me because of my um, my background in fashion design. So I was a fashion major at the, the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Um, and you know when you're when you're a fashion designer, you're always designing within the confines of the body. Like whatever you're making, it's going to end up on a body. So you always have to think like, you know, if I want to add 
a style line across the chest, like, well, then I have to decide, like, if the shaping is going to come from that seam or if the shaping is going to be, um, you know, is going to be put in another seam. So, so you, you know, you're always thinking about, okay, there's this three-dimensional thing that body that has to hold this structure, and your your piece really exists in the context of the body. But when you take away that restriction and you just make something, you know, two-dimensional, it's like it's it frees you up. It it, it becomes more about like the image of the of the quilt. Mm. So and it, so it becomes more like a painting practice rather than like a design mm. practice. Mm. Yeah, that's super interesting. And it that's, it makes sense that like your your practice of knitting and quilting and stuff is very much informed by your fashion background. Like that's really interesting. It de it definitely is. <laughs> like heavily influenced. Yeah. I don't know if that comes that comes across a lot and like in looking at my work, but it's a it's like a big part of my like inspiration and how I make things. Yeah, cool. Um, what's your favorite part about fiber arts? And within that sort of question, what's something that you're really excited about right now? Well, I I love that fiber arts is like is a traditionally female dominated art form. Um, that's something that's that's really special to me, and I feel um, I feel very like excited and also honored to like work as part of a, a tradition that has like a really rich history, um, and and particularly with regards to women. Like when I go and and look at like some books I have or or go to do research, it's always like the amazing pieces are made by some woman in her home and and I, I I love like thinking about the moment when she made it and or like going to an antique show and looking at the old quilts and seeing like sometimes they have signatures on them or they were made for like someone's wedding or something like I love I love like the sentimental aspect of it and I also love like that that, that fiber arts is traditionally a field that women have dominated and where we can really express ourselves and like be powerhouses mm. and not really have you know not have to like think so much about like the men and like the patriarch the patriarchy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we can subvert and we can subvert that I feel like through fiber arts like we have the, the opportunity to like be subversive because it belongs to us um that's not not to diminish like the work of like male fiber artists I think that's great and I think they're welcome at the table it's just there's so few like fields that you could go into and say like this is a field dominated by women and really pioneered by women. Not that's something that I love. Yeah. Um, and like what inspires me now, or what what's one thing that I'm really excited about now in in the fiber world is um, sustainability is becoming like a, a really important part of the craft and the trade. And like a big emphasis, and when when you're looking at materials to use, it's um, you know I love I love to see that different yarns are advertising that they're sustainably made, or um, sustainability is really important to me. And also natural materials, I love like the, the resurgence of um, people really appreciating natural materials and understanding like how special they are is really exciting to me. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's. Those are two things that I've thought a lot about and um, particularly I've thought a lot about the sort of female domination of this 
area, this like the fiber arts world. And like you say, like men totally welcome at the table, love a lot of male fiber artists. But I think in starting this podcast in particular, I was like very excited to get to talk to the women doing this stuff and particularly the women entrepreneurs, because I have been, my previous work was like in sort of a tech co-working space. Oh, and wow. there were probably like four other women in the entire building of 150 people, like just blatantly male dominated. And wow. whilst like that was a cool environment and it was interesting, I just was craving seeing more people who looked like me <laughs> had the same, you know, who were female in some way or another, um, like doing the stuff that looked, seemed to me so kind of scary or like male dominated or that we weren't really encouraged to do, like be an entrepreneur and take risks and be bossy and <laughs> this sort of thing that like, I feel like women are, there is a real resurgence of, um, or sort of a surge really of women being like, yeah, look, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in charge and I'm going to be running things. And that's not something to be, to shy away from. And it's not something that makes me like rude or crude. Like it's me doing my thing. And I, it just, yeah, I think, hard for me to articulate like how excited I am about about seeing that happen and how how much doing this podcast has been about really just getting to talk to these women and getting to like pick their brains about like how are you doing this like this is amazing and also just like fangirl a bit and be like you're amazing I just want to know about how you're how you're doing this you know oh thank you (laughs) without being totally creepy (laughs) that's so nice to hear well no, and also I'm I'm jealous of all the great people you've been talking to, like through doing this. I can't wait to listen to all of it. Oh, I'm so excited! Yeah, it's this will make you happy to hear. I've I've never had a male boss. I've only had female bosses my whole career. It's crazy. Wow. So that's my only example. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's really cool because I've had I've had a couple I've had a couple female bosses, but most recently my my bosses have been men. And they're great, wonderful human beings. But I think there's some something about a female in that position of power that just really excites me and really makes me think that, especially in the fiber arts community and space, like this is this is going to be bigger in the next coming years. And I just can't wait to see what that produces in terms of like the things that we're making, the things we care about, the kind of conversations in this craft space and just like, and seeing how that kind of trickles out into the world and like whether that starts to make a difference in other sectors beyond fiber arts. I do too. I'm, I, I'm curious to find out too. Yeah. Um, so we know that you have been knitting for a long time and quilting for almost as long, but how did that start? Can you tell me a bit about, um, about kind of how that journey all started for you? Yeah, well, um, both, both my parents are creative, so I kind of like, I grew up in a, a really um, like artistic household. My, well, both my parents are chefs, mm. so, so they have like creative jobs, and, um, but at the same time, like my father also is really into woodworking and built a lot of our furniture when I was a kid. He was always like in the garage making things, like he made like my crib and you know, like, like built our whole house and um, he's always making something and, and he's been like 
teaching himself woodworking since he was like 22. Mm. So I kind of, you know, I watched him make a lot of things and then my mom is a painter and um, she's made jewelry and she, she went back to college and she did the foundation year of Otis, like right after I graduated from college. What is that? Sorry, I don't, I'm not familiar. Oh, Otis, Otis College in, um, in LA. It's an, it's an art school. And oh, okay. the first year, the first year program there is um, very rigorous. You have to do a lot of drawing and you have to do a lot of like three-dimensional work as well. And um, she decided when, when me and my siblings had all left the house, she decided she wanted to go back to school. So she went and did a year of art school. Oh, cool. <laughs> I love that. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I kind of, you know, I grew up and my parents were always making things. And um, when I was a little kid, I was, I had a childhood illness. I had, I had ulcerative colitis, so I had to be in the hospital a lot. Oh. And um, I, it was like super boring to be in the hospital, just like long stretches of like just watching TV. So um, my mom would give me like little projects and like things to make. To like distract me from like the boredom yeah so that's kind of when I got I got into like making things because like when you're not well like all you have is like you know the stuff in front of you like that's the only thing you have to like hold on to so yeah um, I think that's when I got really into like making things as like you know an escape from like what was going on like with like having all these surgeries and having to have like blood transfusions and be on medication and all those stuff and then um, so then I was like, oh, you know, I was always like interested in making things, and then I went to um, I went to like a really progressive elementary school where all the like learning was hands-on, kind of like Waldorf influence, but it wasn't a Waldorf school. Mm. And um, we did, and think I think it was in fourth grade. I was ten. We did we did a whole unit on. Um, the the Amer you know the colonies like Plymouth Plantation and yeah, yeah and like what they had to do to like survive in in this harsh like new new place um, like we would we would all do these things like firsthand to learn about it mm. so we we would like churn butter and we learned like their dances and their songs and then and part of it was like we learned like the crafts that they were doing at the time so like we learned how to knit as a class and we learned how to embroider and we also did like a little bit of sewing and um that, that I just got super into it after that yeah. like I never my grandma never knit she she hates knitting my mom doesn't knit or sew and so I never like had you know, someone around that could just easily teach me how to do it. So I learned it at school and then I just got super like obsessed with it and would like beg my mom to like take me to the yarn store <laughs> to like get yarn and and um, like to the fabric store to like buy little like scraps of fleece to make like clothes for my beanie babies and, <laughs> and like so blankets cute. for them and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So I was like always making things all through like in high school I started like making all my own clothes I like my goal was to like only make my own clothes except for underwear like in high school I was like super like dedicated to like making my own wardrobe 
And so I was doing that. And I was knitting and sewing a lot of things. And then I knew I wanted to go to art school. And I really liked the fashion program at the Art Institute. So I went there and you know, made even more things. <laughs> It's it's really funny because my mom cleaned my mom um, like re redid her whole house. She lives in like this old Victorian house in Venice Beach, in California, and um, she like refinished all the floors and like did all this really intense work on the house. So she had to clean out every single thing in the house, and like eliminate all her unnecessary things. And she said like all the things, all the projects I had made, and all my materials and stuff that were in the house. Like she was shocked at how much it was. <laughs> She was like, and then I really realized like how prolific you were like when you were in high school and stuff. So yeah, so <laughs> there's that. And then um, yeah, I, I like made a ton of stuff in high school and then I moved to New York or yeah, I made a ton of stuff in high school. I made a ton of stuff in college and then I, I knew like to get a job in fashion, like realistically I had to live in New York. So I moved to New York yeah. and um, I was working like as a shop girl at Pearl Soho, like selling yarn and cutting fabric. And one day this, um, this woman came in and she said, I need to pick a bunch of yarn for a project. Can you help me? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And so I was helping her. And then I found out that she was one of the head, she told me she was one of the head designers in anthropology. Oh my gosh. She hired me on the spot to make all these samples for a new program that they were developing with Women for Women International in Bosnia oh. because they have a lot of knitters there. So they were developing this hand-knit accessory line to sell at Anthropology, and mm. um, she, you know, I, over it was over Christmas. I like went home for Christmas and I made all these samples. I like knit all these samples for her, and then she. Um, when I came back from Christmas, back from LA, I on like on January 2nd, I like went to her house and showed her everything I had made and she offered me a job. Oh my gosh. To yes, being her designer. So then I worked for her for a year uh, designing sweaters and accessories for anthropology. And then I, I worked for Eugenia Kim for like almost three years after that. Mm. And then I went back to Pearl and I worked for Pearl a little bit more and now I work for myself and I have my company. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of insane. That's like it's such like a dreamy story. Like I'm sure there I know. I can't say I'm sure like I can't say that I personally know it was a dreamy <laughs> dreamy experience at all times, but like that's a, that sounds incredible. <laughs> it, it's such a New York story. It really is. Yeah, yeah, that's so funny to have somebody like come in and then hire you basically on the spot. Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. I was like in shock. Yeah, that's amazing. And so something that like I'm particularly interested in, and I ask everybody this question, um, I guess I ask most people most of the questions, but this one in particular, I'm like super interested in the answer because um, it's a little bit like what you were talking about with knitting and then picking up quilting to kind of like fill in the gaps of like, I don't have the creative freedom with knitting that I do with quilting. So I'm going to try this thing. It's about sort of like once this thing that's sort of a hobby or whatever you want to call it, like a craft that you do, like a practice that you have becomes more of a business and becomes more of something that you're maybe designing for and more stuck in a box of what it can be. 
um, how do you kind of stay motivated? Like, how do you stay motivated with your personal quilting practice? And how do you stay motivated to continue kind of growing Poppy and Pima? Well, um, not, well, now that I have Poppy and Pima, it's really, um, it's my own company and I'm, I'm making what I want for my future. I don't see it just as like, I'm just making product. I don't see it as like a cold, you know, like cerebral thing. I really see it as like, I'm building my future and I'm building like what I want, Mm. what I envision and what I want as my future. So for me, it's really like, it's all on me to like make it happen. And, and I always think about um, what, what Linda, my, my boss at anthropology um, used to say to me all the time was, this is your baby. And like, you need to put every single thing that you have into your baby to make your baby hmm. grow and be successful. So, so that's really how I think of it. And if I just can throw myself into it completely, that it, it will become like what I want what I want it to be. Mm. So yeah, it takes, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's definitely like day by day and it takes a long time to see progress, especially when you're working on, on like the fashion calendar, like everything's designed really far in advance, like the product that I'm designing right now and we're getting ready to show at the end of the month is um, like, it's not going to hit stores until like end of August. So it's like you really you're thinking like and I started designing the product in August of this year or this past year. So it's, you know, it's a long calendar and you really have to think about like keep your eye on the end goal. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see what else I started. Oh, and also or I, I wrote down a little bit like so I would have notes to refer to like as we were talking. Um, <laughs> all good, yeah. Also, I I'm an artist at my core and I need to make things to, to be yeah. sane and to feel like a, like a fully like actualized person. <laughs> I have to make things. It's not, it's not even something, it's not something that I see as like a chore. It's, it's like, it's like breathing to me, mm. like expressing myself and making things is like breathing. It's like, it's or eating. It's like so, something I do to like recharge and, and like nourish myself. So that's a big part of it for me. It's like the obsession and like the need to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a common experience for people who make things like whatever you want to call yourself in terms of being a maker or a creator or a artist or whatever it is. But I think you're right that there is quite a, quite a like visceral and difficult to maybe even like articulate the right words for it because it's so inherently necessary. <laughs> it's like, so just there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something I, I really um, like took from my parents. Like I know, I just know from like growing up around them, like my father like has to be in the wood shop, like, you know, a certain number of hours a week. Like I can tell when he hasn't been in, in the shop for a long time. It's like, you know, he's he like misses it. It's like another child or something. Yeah. Yeah. And like my mom with painting, it's like she's she's like bummed if she hasn't like worked on a, her mm. painting in, you know, mm. a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what is the biggest bit of advice that you have for someone who's just kind of starting out with fiber arts? 
Okay, I'm so I'm so happy to get to this question <laughs> um, uh, because I told I told um, I told you earlier I we were talking a little bit about um, like the rules of quilting. Yeah. And um, I really wanted to tell tell you this, but I thought we should just wait until we're recording. <laughs> um, so I okay. Well, first off, is work really hard and commit to it because you're you're not going to get anything out of something that you don't put your whole self into. Yeah. I really believe that. Yeah. And another thing is to like do what do what you love. Like if you like it, if you love it with with everything you have, like then you will continuously be inspired by it and and want to do it more. Mm. Um and I I've been like the last couple of years in starting the company, I've been thinking a lot about like um my my grandfather, my mom's father won the Nobel Prize in 2013, <laughs> and um, so we you know we spent like we spent a week and a half in in sweet in Stockholm like kind of like celebrating him and and going to all these events for his Nobel Prize and listening to him speak and all these things and and he always said I never did anything I didn't want to do, and I've been thinking about that since since we were there I've been thinking about that nonstop don't do anything you don't want to do. I feel like it's so important and it's so it's like such an important part of his success. So I've been trying to take that as like part of like my advice to myself. Yeah. Um, and then the big thing that I was waiting to get to is like don't get hung up on the rules. Yeah. I mm. think beginners beginners especially and I know this from working in working at Pearl and seeing all the beginners coming in and, and being seeing this beautiful store and seeing like, oh, this is so, there's all the colors and the textures, like I really want to be a part of that. But, but feeling like there's so many rules and, and how will I learn all the stitches and how will I learn like what is the correct needle size to use with this and, and what's the right way to quilt a quilt. Mm. You know, like I get that, uh, people write me all, constantly, people write me emails, what's the right way to quilt a quilt? How do you quilt your quilt? <laughs> Yeah. The truth is, there's no right way and there's no wrong way. As long as you're achieving like what you envision for the piece, there's no wrong way. I, I, I think people get so hung up on the rules and it's a, it's a total shame because as long as you're enjoying it and you're, you're achieving the results that you want to achieve, mm. I don't think the, the rules really matter. Mm. I mean, maybe the, the rules matter if you're, you know, if you want to make a perfect, like, perfectly tailored blazer in, you know, in a beautiful wool, Italian wool fabric. Yes, then maybe, like, the rules matter, okay? <laughs> but, like, if we're making a quilt, like, it's not that serious, you know? And if it's, if, it's, if it's something that's beautiful to you and that you feel happy making, I don't think, like, it matters if you didn't, you know, you didn't baste your quilt exactly six inches apart or, like, yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. So, like, don't get hung up on the rules. Like, and, and, and don't be afraid to like try new things and make mistakes. Like, cause as long as you learn from them, it's not a mistake. Mm. It's not like a, it's not like a life or death, a life or death thing, you know? Yes. I think that, that's, that's like such a big part of it. Hey, where at the end of the day, this isn't life or death and it's not that serious, you know, like, yes, it, yes, you can be a serious knitwear designer and yes, you can be a serious artist and want to design things that are functional and beautiful and, and all these things and want to make a living from it. So there feels like there's, it can feel like there's a bit of pressure there to like get it right. But at the end of the day, like it's, 
Yeah, it's still like knitting and it's still quilting and it's still, hopefully it's still something that's like really fun to you and really interesting in that process of making the thing, ripping the thing out, being like, oh, well, that thing didn't work. And then going back to the drawing board is like such an important part of it, I think. I, I think so too. And I think that if you, if you really, um, you know, like knitters and quilters especially are so focused on rules and the right way of doing things it's it's insane and if you if that's like something that's intimidating to you and it's like preventing you from like getting into something that could be really really special for you like that that's a shame I think like don't don't listen to those people yeah well and it's interesting because I actually had a conversation with a woman in this um, cooperative that like sells knitted things in Hobart yesterday and we were talking about how she was like oh you could sell your things here and I was sort of like oh it looks like the they have very like strict guidelines around how you knit and like where you've woven in your ends and how you've attached your yarn and how you've knitted things and and part of me feels like cool like that would be a really good exercise in learning to do these things like properly and learning to do them the right way <laughs> but then there's another part of me that's like I uh, really want to just experiment with this and I think she was saying like oh it would be wonderful to get someone your age like into into the shop we don't have a lot of people doing that and I think it's refreshing and interesting talking to people like you and like other people that I've spoken to on the podcast who who maybe do have like a formal training in it, in knitting or whatever it is, but then they're taking this really different approach to it of like, yeah, I got weird and experimental and I made something that had words on it and I made this thing out of t-shirts and like just really random stuff that's, yeah, that's like not traditionally in the rules or like the, the set of what you can do with knitting, but is like really exciting and really cool. Yeah, it's great. I love it. I love that. I love when I see pe see like people who make things and don't take the rules like very seriously because they're they're often making the most interesting things. I think and the most um, innovative things. Yeah. The one the one place I will say the one place where I really follow the rules and the thing the thing that I think is really important is um, is um, my like my when I draw on my training in pattern making and fit. That, that is one area where I think it's really important to, um, to know the rules and to know like what makes a flattering garment mm. and things like that. But once you know those rules and you understand like how they help you, you can utilize, you know, you can break, you can, you can break them here and there or, you know, or use that as a starting point to like go further with something. Yeah. Yeah. It, you might not have any right off the top of your head, but because I'm quite interested in this, and so this is more just like a selfish question, trying to pick your brain. Um, um, but I've been, I yeah, I often wonder about like drape and fit and trying to figure out, figure these things out as you go. It, like I'm interested, it's been interesting trying to sort that out, but it's also been like, I don't really know the rules of like how you make something drape nicely on someone's body. Did you, would you say that you got almost all of that from, your university training or have there been like books or tutorials or like people that you've kind of gotten information from on that? Yeah, I, got, I definitely got my foundation um, in at, at school at the Art Institute. Um, I mm. have really fabulous pattern making teachers 
um, who had studied, you know, at like the Royal College in Antwerp and like, you know, and at FIT and really, really knew a lot about pattern making and, and the body. Um, so I, I got a, a great foundation there, but I think um, I, I, the pattern making book that they had us buy in school was also incredible. And one, it's a, a book that I still refer to today. Um, I keep it like on the shelf, you know, it's like right at an arm's reach. Um, but also like working in the industry, I learned a ton. Um, I had an internship when I was in college. I interned at 3S4, which is like a really artsy label and, in Chinatown. Um, they make a lot of Bjork's clothes oh. for tour and clothes that she wears every day. They make amazing artistic things. And that was like a hardcore pattern making internship. I was making patterns every single day and I was responsible for like for for executing these styles. They like assigned me styles that I was responsible for hmm. making. And then I could go onto style.com, which is now defunct. It was crazy for me to go onto style.com and see, oh my God, that's the bathing suit that I draped from their sketch sewed, made the, made the muslin, and then corrected, and then made the sample. Like, it was um. an incredible feeling. So yeah, I learned a ton on the job. And like, working at Eugenia Kim was like going to grad school for hat, hats. Like, I'm just now, just the way I think about hats is like insane, you know? It's like, it's like borderline, like, crazy. Like, no, I've been wondering that because I was I I knitted the classic cuffed hat that you did. Oh, great! And then I've been eyeing your your knitted your um, Poppy and Pima stuff for a long time. So then I've been I've been like <laughs> it was like knitting a hat yesterday, being like, how would Gina approach this? Like, what would be the like decreasing that she would do here? Oh God! E e seriously, email me any hat hat decrease questions that you ever have. I've patterned. So many hats. I could probably like tell you just like off the cuff, like mm. this is how you should do it. It's like absurd. That, but that's what happens when you just you just make oh hats gosh. for two years. You know, I just made hats, and like and also like I also made quilts. Like when I was not making hats, I was making quilts. <laughs> but but yeah. So so that like on the job training is like was really intense because that's that's an environment where like you really have to like perform because. When someone, when they're, your boss is looking at you, they're like envisioning like the dollars flying out the door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, but they're paying you, so it's like you really have to perform. You really have to learn quickly. So yeah, I learned a lot on the job. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I like forgot to tell you. Yeah, I mean, I I also like I I really like to go to um, go to Barney's and like go to designer stores and look at the clothes and, and look on the inside at mm. um, like how they were constructed and, and trying things on is great too. It's great to try things on and see how they fit you and see what flatters you. Mm. Because when you can identify like, oh, this is the, this is the element that's really flattering to my body, then you can kind of look at, at someone else wearing something and see what, what's working for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I, <laughs> I'm like really creepy when I'm with my friends and, um, 
one of them is wearing like a nice jumper or sweat sweater or something. So like, I'll just be like staring really actively at them. I'm like, why are you staring at me? I'm like, sorry, I'm trying to figure out how your jumper was constructed. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if you ever find yourself doing that where you're like really actively staring at a stranger. And they're like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh my gosh. Even better if you can get them to like take it off and, uh, you know, undress and look at it. But when I was working, when I was working for anthropology, we always used to joke like, oh, you have to wear nice underwear to work because yeah, you yeah. <laughs> like, try something on or, or in case Linda really likes what you're wearing and wants to, wants to measure it. <laughs> you're going to have to take that off here and there, yeah. <laughs> right here and now. Yeah. Well, the last little question that I ask everybody is um is just to kind of like broaden our community and try to try to find more people that people know about because I feel like so often I find so many incredible people just by talking to other fiber artists so I'm wondering who you think we should be following in the fiber arts world yeah great question um I well for for a knitter uh I love I love um, Anna Maltz, uh oh, sweater yeah. spotter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's just so, the, the, the things that she notices, like in her sweater spotting are like so great. And yeah. um, how, like her voice is really irreverent and like funny. I'm always, always looking at her feet and like laughing out loud yeah. at what she's saying. And she's like yeah. such a sweet person. I, um, I went to London for a couple of days in the summer after my cousin's wedding in Germany. And we stayed at her house. Oh, and that's just, so like, nice. She was so nice. And oh um, just really even smarter and even cooler in person. Mm. So that was like just such a heartwarming like experience to meet her in person. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so animal sweater spotter mm-hmm. um, and penguin patterns. Yeah, I saw that. I haven't I haven't gotten a chance to like really flick through the, the book and everything, but I saw that she posted that and I was just like, this is brilliant. <laughs> like this is super brilliant. Yeah, it's great. It's it's fabulous. It's such a good book. Oh cool. She did such a good job and she worked so hard on it. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. And then for quilting, I love um Zach Foster. Okay. Um, so and he he's also in Brooklyn and just very like he the 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 fabrics that he puts together are so inspiring he just sees everything with a different eye Mm. and um like I love his compositions and the way he chooses like he'll choose colors that like when they're next to each other they almost like vibrate wow like they're they look like they're moving like his quilts really look like they're moving which I think is so so cool and like and we, we like share a lot of knowledge with quilts, but it's like so great to have him like as a resource. Yeah. And he's a great guy too. Oh, cool. <laughs> and then there's another quilter in Australia that I think you would love. I don't know if you know her, Ru- Ruby Hoffman. No, I haven't heard of her. Oh, and she's Aussie. Cool. Her quilts are absolutely incredible. And she's one of those people who just totally ignores the rules, which is so inspiring. Yes. Like the way the way she just thro- throws the rules out the door. And we we communicate um online sometimes. I think uh you should get in touch with her. I think she would really love to have like someone closer. Yeah. Um 
I, because I, I always wish we could get in, we could be in the same room and um, be quilting and, and like critiquing each other's pieces. Her oh stuff is gosh. so amazing. It's great. And she, she'll mix sometimes like embroidery in. Oh, cool. Oh, wait. So now that you say that, I think we probably need to have like a close knit, <laughs> close knit retreat where we get all of the like podcast interviewees <laughs> in one room to craft. Yeah, that would be so fun. Yeah. And then one more. I have one more person. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rebecca, Rebecca Ringquist. Okay. Who um, is. She primarily works in embroidery. She was one of my professors at the Art Institute. Oh, cool. But she's, um, she's not there anymore. She lives, um, she lives in the Pacific Northwest now. And um, she's still embroidering. And she just has, she, she I, I learned how to embroider in elementary school. But when I took her class at the Art Institute, I really, it opened up to me like what the medium of embroidery is and what it can be. Mm. And she really, um, she really te- taught us to think of it as drawing. Mm-hmm. Like, don't think of it as, as like, you know, this ri- rigid thing and it has to only be samplers. It's like, it's like drawing and it's an expression and you, you're really just making a line with thread. Mm. So, so, yeah, I love her approach to it. She just, she came out with a book. I don't know if it was 2015 or 2014. It's really beautiful. But, um, yeah, her and she... She has a shop where you can order like samplers that are printed so you can kind of like play along and oh, she does cool. sampler of the month and hmm. yeah her she if, if you're into embroidery or any kind of like needlework um like surface oriented like needlework yeah she's she's like incredible yeah cool oh this is so exciting i love asking this question because i always find out about more cool people that i need to <laughs> that i need to know about <laughs> Oh, she's also from Michigan. Oh, we were cool. talking about earlier about how people from Michigan are so cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true. I feel like um, I feel like I might need to make make them <laughs> make a trip to Michigan, hang out with yeah. hang out with Marley at Have Company and hang out with Meg at Wolf Story and stuff. <laughs> yeah, that'd be so cool. I'll I might just meet you there. Oh, that would be awesome. Maybe <laughs> maybe I'll pitch that to Marley. Oh, you know what? Another place, another place you should go if you go to Michigan, mm. <laughs> if you make this dream a reality. <laughs> go to. Um, I went to a summer camp that's affiliated with the Art Institute. It's yeah. called Oxbow. Mm. I went Oxbow Artist Residency, I guess. It's in Saugatuck. Okay. And um, which is like I think it's close to Kalamazoo. Okay. Um, it's kind of close to Grand Rapids, which yeah. is that's where Have Company is, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's such that was like the best summer of my life it was so fun I went and I took a a felting class there it was like a two-week long thing and that it's just like a haven for artists it's incredible like you would love it if you go there in the summer they have like a party every Friday where everyone just gets really wild and everyone there is an artist and the studios are open 24 hours so you can have this like incredible experience maybe you could do a resident residency there ah oh my god yeah this, you're making like, i want to do it these are all my dreams <laughs> yeah oh that sounds amazing i want to do that oh my god yeah oxbow it's the coolest okay well i will link to all of those things in the show notes so that everybody knows about all the cool things Sheena just mentioned okay <laughs> cool well gina was there anything else that you wanted to add not particularly. 
It's been great talking to you. You too. I yeah, I love doing these. I I just think every single time that I do them, I'm, I get more excited to do the next one because it's just, yeah, I learn so much every time. And I learn so much about baby alpaca. It's not a real baby, which is great. No, it doesn't come from a baby. Yeah. No. And it, it's so nice. Um, like, I really enjoy your Instagram feed, so it's so nice to, like, get to know the person behind um, the, like, the gorgeous pictures and, and the amazing things that you make. Yeah, so. same to you. Yeah. I, I don't remember when I started following you, but I remember we kind of started, like, mutually commenting on each other's photos and I was like this girl is amazing oh you you were in Peru at the time I think when oh, I started cool. following you and I was like oh my gosh <laughs> I want to be her yeah so the feeling is mutual <laughs> oh thanks well I'm going I'm going back to Peru in April probably so yeah cool um yeah so follow along for more more Peru updates until you totally get sick of Peru no I'm never I'm never going to get sick of Peru. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I imagine it would be hard to. Maybe maybe someday there should be a Poppy and Pima artist retreat in Peru. Just just going to throw that out there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that would be so fun. Oh, my God, yes. Yes, oh, that would be so great. We could definitely, we could definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah no, my mind is, like, spinning now. I'm like, oh, yeah, where, where could we yeah. stay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, it's incredible. It's like such a cool country. I love it there. I know. I've heard so many amazing things. And every friend of mine who knows that I'm into knitting was like, you need to get to Peru. It's incredible. <laughs> like, you'd love everything there. That and Oaxaca. Everybody tells me Oaxaca. I want to go there, too. Mm -hmm. Oh, my Definitely. God. If you look at um, Jeff Schreibstein's um, photos from Oaxaca, it's oh. God. Yeah, I think she must have talked about her trip, or I read a blog post about her trip where I was just like, this sounds like magic in heaven, and I need to be there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it sounded like that sort of weaving weaving course that she did was just incredible, like living in, living in with them and stuff, just so cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's incredible, yeah, I bet it was. Yeah, okay, well, we've got some things to work on now. <laughs> some yeah, artist great. residencies to play in. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. You've just listened to episode seven of the Close Knit Podcast with Gina Rockenwagner of Poppy and Pima. You can find all of the show notes for this episode, as well as all the previous episodes, on my website, closeknit.com.au slash podcast. If you'd like to be involved with the Close Knit Podcast, please send me an email. Hello at closeknit.com.au. I'd love to hear from you. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe, tell your friends, leave us a review on iTunes, and give us a rating because that will really help us reach more people in the fiber community. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.